Well, we are in for a fantastic weekend next weekend, starting at, uh, on Friday at 10 a.m. Where are all the campers from last week? We had some campers. We had a great time, right? You know, in the sun, we had perfect weather, perfect weather, and we had a great time. About 150 of us all up. Thanks for the day vis- visitors as well. It was great to have you uh, there, but I understand we also had a great Sunday here in part four of Simplify as well. Hey, uh, before we get into part five today of Simplify, I just want to quickly just bring to our attention uh, just something that's going to happen on May 15. Can everyone say that date? May 15, 2016. That's right. In a month or so's time, we're going to bring before us a four-week series called 2020 Vision. Yesterday, the elders met all day from 7.30 through to 4 o'clock, and uh, we started this journey well over 12 months ago. And uh, we've got a staff meeting in regards to that tomorrow. We consulted our Hope Partners last November, I think it was. And so this is a big, long journey and summarizing and bringing this together. And so May 15, if there is a, a Sunday you need to be here, in fact, four Sundays, try to be here from May 15 for those following four Sundays. We're looking forward to sharing with you our next four or five year plan, uh, taking us into the year 2020. Are we excited about that? Fantastic. All right. Well, let's get into this. For those who have a smartphone, feel free to grab those out. There's a whole new look to YouVersion. For those who have a smart, smartphone who haven't downloaded the, the uh, YouVersion app, simply, uh, look, I don't know how to do it, in fact. <laughs> but uh, so I guess uh, go to the App Store and download, I think it's called YouVersion, right? And so uh, there it is. It's a whole new look. Anyway, so uh, uh, for those of us who uh, have brought journals along or a piece of paper and pencil and pen, feel free to do that. But this is part five. In this series, in fact, I've left the book there. I don't know why I did that. Can I grab that? Is that okay? This is the book that we're uh, journeying with. I hope we're really enjoying this. I'm hearing some great stories of small groups really getting into this and uh, uh, really enjoying this. Simplify, it's uh, a little subheading here. It's called 10 Practices to Unclutter Your Soul. It's not necessarily about doing less. It's about focusing on what's most important in this one and only life that you and I have been blessed with. And today's topic is entitled, From Wounded to Whole, Making Room for Forgiveness. If I asked this morning for a raise of hands of just how many people, how many of you have ever been wronged? I think most of us, most certain that every hand on this, in this place would certainly go north. Because you can't live in this world for very long without being wronged. In fact, it happened to me just the other day. I was walking through town. I was thirsty. It was a reasonably fresh morning. And so I decided to go into a local cafe, which will remain unnamed, a small little cafe in town. And I was wronged. I walked out paying $5.50 for a hot medium drink. I'm trying to test the room. Was, was, Was I wronged? I could not believe that. I'm never going back there again. No names mentioned, but I felt I was wronged <laughs> that particular day. I got in my car. I went over to my wife. I said, I was wrong today. But uh, I'm talking about a different kind of wrong today, all right? I'm talking about a little different kind of wrong. Now, I've, I want to speak personally just for a moment, so we're all on the same page, if that's okay. And I want to say this. And welcome, by the way, those who are watching live stream today. It's great to have you joining with us, those who are listening online as well. It's great to have you as well. I want you to know that I certainly know what it's like to live with resentment, with things that happened a long time ago, um, big issues and small issues. I know the struggles of what it takes 
um, to forgive. Uh, I also know that it's hard, very hard sometimes. I know the scars are very real, very deep, and sometimes very long. Two analogies for you this morning. Just a, a bit of a show of hands here this morning. Let's just see who, who the fishermen or fisher people, fishermen and women across the room. Who are the fisher people? You, you, you like your fishing. I see that hand, Craig. All right. <laughs> okay, fish, fisher people. In fact, all of us could probably yell out to me this morning and feel free to do so. What are the key items that you need when you go fishing? Patience. <laughs> Somebody said patience. Thanks, Tony. Bait. Somebody said bait. A fishing rod. A reel. A line. Water. <laughs> what was that? Fish. Oh, come on. Oh, oh, what do we say? Oh, thank you. Let's stop right there. Oh, that suits my illustration beautifully. Well, analogy. Because I've got this hook. I don't know if we can, if we can kind of get a good shot of this. But I've got this, this hook, thanks to my fisher friend, Craig. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> I've got this hook. We got, the, got a shot there? Okay. Put it there, yeah? This is a reasonable size hook. What kind of fish would you catch on that, Craig? A big one. <laughs> okay, Craig, what's the name of the fish <laughs> you catch on? <laughs> Tuna. Okay. So this is a big hook to catch big fish. I'm glad we know that. Now... The analogy goes a little bit like this, if you can hang in with me there for a moment. Because when you get angry at somebody, when somebody has betrayed you, when somebody has hurt you, when somebody has wronged you, this is exactly what happens in our lives. We put them up on the hook. Hmm? We do. And it feels good to let them dangle on the hook, that feeling of revenge that comes in us. And maybe, whoever it might be for you, it might be a one, it might be two, it might be quite a few in your life. Maybe for you, this is in fact um, defined you and now is very part of your identity. And over time, over time, you actually begin to realize, do you not, that if you do not let resentment go in your life, you are also up on that hook. That's uh, analogy number one. I said I've got two. I've been thinking through this, and not that I fully know, but I think it was my wife Karen who let me know how to figure this out. Because resentment, unforgiveness, is a little bit like a computer. Let me explain. I was told some time ago, as I grabbed my smartphone here, that when my phone or computer was operating slow, that I had too many, thank you Brad, I had too many applications open. Anyone familiar with what I'm talking about this morning? Yeah? Let me just explain. Here's my phone. I don't know if you can see that. There you go. There's applications there. There are applications there. And each little, kind of, there we go, each little square represents an application. Okay, so you can have those open at any one time, um, but the, the more you have open, what I, what I understand is that it's, it, it slows your operating system down if you have too many applications open. And so I was told that every application takes this little bit of energy, and even though you think you're not using that bit of energy, pretty soon all that energy is being used up. And you can't do the simple things that you want to do anymore. So, two analogies. 
the hook and the application. So you think you're free, but you're not. Coming back to resentment just for a moment. All of that energy is going towards maintaining your resentment, stroking that fire of hatred and anger in your life. And for some of us, it becomes like that full-time job to just keep holding on, let me find it again, to that anger, to the hook. Let's go to the text for this morning. It's a text um, where Peter, he asked Jesus this question in Matthew chapter 18. A a very familiar passage in this uh, area of forgiveness. And so Matthew 18 verses 21 to 35, if you have your Bibles, feel free. It's going to be up on the screen for us to follow through. Then I'm just going to take this apart a little bit. As we read this, if you can hang in there long enough, keep that concentration hanging in because there's this this, uh, we've got to suspect this, the text, okay? What I mean by that is to suspect that there's more happening here, and there is. Check this out. Matthew chapter 18, 21 to 35. Then Peter, who? Peter. Peter. Who did he come to? He came to Jesus and he asked this question, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Now, Peter, by the way, he knew the answer to that. How did he know the answer to that? Because in Jewish tradition back in the day, you were to give people, you were to forgive people three times, but not four. Let's just press pause there for a moment. You and I are generally about the same. When somebody does something to you, somebody wrongs you, you generally, generally forgive them once. They do something again. Generally, you forgive them twice. Generally, you give it. So not a lot of difference. But in, the, in the, um, uh, the tradition back then, um, it was to forgive them three times. So Peter knew the answer. Okay, let's keep going. It goes like this. Uh, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? <laughs> but Jesus answered, uh, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, some of the translations you might have would say 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servant. Hang in there. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him how much? 10,000 bags of gold. That's significant to this story right now. Okay? 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be what? to be sold, to repay the debt. Go to the next slide, thank you. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. Be patient with me. Be patient, that's what he begged. And I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. How many bags of gold before? 10,000 bags of gold. This is significant to the story, what Jesus is trying to paint here for us in this parable. This is a story, by the way, of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, not gold coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. 
But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. So they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in and he said this, You wicked servant, he said, I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. How much did he owe? You got it. You got it. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Three things, just three very quick things in regards to forgiveness from this particular parable. The first thing is this, it's on the screen, and it's this. Jesus takes this subject very, very seriously. That's what I got from this passage. What did you get? You see... Let's think about this, and we're celebrating this next week, in a way. We're reflecting, of course, but we're celebrating the goodness of our God through His Son, Jesus, and the grace, the amazing grace we sing about, the amazing mercy and forgiveness that are at the center of His kingdom. And so, as we reflect on this passage, hold it there just for a moment, that Jesus has no patience with revenge, none whatsoever. No matter how you and I, we try to disguise it or how we try to justify it, it just doesn't work for him. And so that's the first thing that I certainly got from this particular passage that we know is for absolute certain certainty that Jesus takes this subject very seriously. The second observation is this, that there is a certain connection, is there not? between our own experience of forgiveness and how generous, generously we offer it to other people around us. You see, when we understand just how much, and weeks like next weekend certainly remind us for us, just how much we are forgiven, then we are empowered to forgive others. Let's, let's go back to the story just for a moment. Think of the first servant and the second servant. The first servant, he didn't get it, did he? He didn't get it. He received that mercy in his life, and you would think that he would go into the world and express that mercy, but he didn't. He didn't get it. Timothy Keller, a great writer and pastor, I think based in New York City, some of you have probably read some of his writings, he said this, we are far more sinful than we ever imagined, and we are far more loved and forgiven than we could have ever hoped for. The third observation about this particular story is this, that there is a connection between forgiveness and healing. What I mean by that is that forgiveness is actually good for us. Where anger becomes toxic and builds things up within our lives and keeps us up on the hook. You see, the holding back of forgiveness leads to consequences uh, in, in, in our lives, things like um, that affect our mental health, 
our uh, physical health, but also our spiritual vitality. I want to speak into that just a little bit more because Peter asked the question. He says this, he says, how many times should he forgive his brother? And he asked the question seven times. Keep in mind, he knew the answer to this question because according to that Jewish law, at the time, people were required to forgive how many times? Three times. Not four, but three times. So Peter knows this importance. And so Jesus answers Peter's question. It's going to be bigger than that. But Peter doesn't really know just how much bigger it's going to be. So he asks the question. He says, seven times, he asks. And Jesus replies, no, no, no. Seventy, seven times. Or seventy times seven. Now, let's think about this. Because Jesus isn't necessarily being literal about that figure, is he? But you think about it. Do the math for a moment. What is seventy times seven? Come on, maths, maths people, 490, is that right? So not seven times, but 400. What's he getting at here? What Jesus is telling Peter is this, that there is no limit to our forgiveness. And so he, that's what he's saying to him. There is no limit to our forgiveness. It's no longer three times, Peter. There is no limit to our forgiveness. It's not small. It's not limited. It's available for everyone for all time. You see, forgiveness is a part of God's design. It's both for how he relates to us and how we are to relate to each other. In the original text, this is an interesting one. You know the the 10,000 bags, that's what it was, wasn't it? 10,000 bags of gold. In the original text, this is a fascinating part about this. Um, Because in today's dollars, that 10,000 bags of gold, this was the highest numerical value that you can actually express in the Greek. The highest numerical value. There is nothing higher than this particular particular value. And so you, you understand what Jesus is trying to paint here. Compared to that of 100 silver coins, I think it was. The man owed the king, the first servant owed the king, let's say, $10 million. It was unheard of. And so this difference between the 10,000 bags of gold to that of 100 silver coins, this is the extent of God's grace that he is showing to us. And if you and I aren't careful, I've got to use, (laughs) we forget And we make someone else pay for it by putting them up on the hook. Let's think about what Jesus is saying here in this particular passage about forgiveness. He's saying to Peter, he's he's painting this picture of this, this story, this parable. He's saying, this is not the way that my kingdom operates. It's not the way my kingdom works. You see, in my kingdom... You are to follow my example. What's my example? It's grace after grace upon grace upon grace. You see, in my kingdom, Jesus is saying, you don't use your newfound freedom to put other people on the hook. You use your freedom to set people free, not just that, but to set yourself free. And that's what this parable is all about. The last verse is the one that really kicks you between the There somewhere. (laughs) Did you get it? 
there are only a couple of times in the Bible where God tells us very clearly that if you do something, if sorry, if you won't do something, then I won't do something. There's only a couple of times in the Bible that happens. And so he says, if you can't forgive, I can't forgive. Let's, let's look at a couple of verses just again. This is a serious matter for Jesus, remember. Okay, verse 34 to 35. This is the last part of the parable. It says this. In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. That's the last couple of verses from that particular passage. So all of a sudden we have this condition, do we not? We have this condition placed before us that God will not do something unless we do something first. Or is it a condition? Is it a threat? Is it a rule? Think about it. I don't think it is. I don't think it is. Because Jesus is explaining to us in this passage that God can't do his forgiving work in an unforgiving heart. That's what I really feel. That the past, let me just, let's, give me just a little bit more time. Because if you choose, if you choose to withhold forgiveness from that person or people in your life, you will be hostage to your own resentment. C.S. Lewis put it this way: To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable, because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. This book that we're journeying through at the moment called Simplify as a Church. The writer, Pastor Bill Hybels, a mentor of mine, somebody who I've really admired for many, many years, not just myself here. But he, allow, he, he outlines three categories that help us differentiate just how wronged some of us have been relative to how wronged others have been. And so he's done a very creative thing, a very smart thing, if I could say. And he's put them in categories. And I encourage you to read about the categories. I'll only mention just briefly this morning these three categories that he's placed these, um, uh, these things in. Category, category number one, he says, are minor, are minor offenses. Minor offenses. What he means by this is minor offenses are child's play. Child's play. These are everyday injustices. This is the person who's become offended, who stepped into the poor me mode. And his response to the poor me mode kind of person, this is category number one, is really? Really? You are offended by something that's gone that much wrong with everything else that's going on in the world? And there's a lot going on out there. His response to a person in category number one is, really? Aren't we meant to, to live as people under God's grace? Each and every day, filled up, daily hope, 20 minutes in the chair, filled up that we go into that world, filled up so we can easily overlook and forgive those tiny injustices. Really? 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 Come on. They're minor offenses that Bill Heibel speaks into. Category number two, these are legitimate wounds. Now, these are a little more complex. This is more than just a minor issue. This is a breach of confidence. This is about gossip. 
This is about betrayal. This is where you are the innocent party and you have been wronged. Now, Bill explains in this book, his response to a Category 2 person is, really? Oh, wow. Really? So he's really lowers a little bit. And so at some time, at some times in our life, in Category 2, with the legitimate wounds, we have to do and get to that place with how Jesus and what Jesus did when he was mistreated. What was his response to his wrongdoers on the cross that day? Which we'll start to remember in a moment during communion. It was this, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You got it. So he surrendered his right to revenge in that very moment. Very quickly, we're going to move through Matthew chapter 18, which I think was the passage just before the passage we just read, because this is a passage that has um, uh, been a, a real, I guess, uh, principle here of Dora Pope. It's called the Matthew 18 principle. I just want to go through this with you. Let's quickly just read this, though. Matthew 18 principle. Let's go to the next slide. It says this, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. There's a pattern here. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along. This is Jesus. So that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So the first thing, we just keep that up there just for a moment. Because the first thing we've got to realize here, Jesus says, is for you to go. Whether it was their problem or the other person's problem, you decide in your heart to take that first step of reconciliation. The second step, keep that up there for a moment, because he says, to go alone, to go in private. Don't hold a pre-meeting with friend, your friendship group, but to go alone. You see, when someone says that I came straight to you to talk to you about this, I'm impressed by somebody who does that. Why? Because they're taking the instruction and this principle of Jesus seriously. The third thing is to go, and Jesus' goal here was to reconcile the relationship. Because if you can't get the issue sorted, you might need to take a third person, a trusted friend, a church leader or an elder to sit down in an appropriate adult way and to talk this through. And the fourth thing is to let it go. Let it go. It sounds like a great name for a song, doesn't it not? <laughs> Phil Beeston and John O'Kerrison. That was last week in camp, by the way. Romans 12, let it go. Romans 12, 18 says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you. Who? You. Live at peace with everyone. Hey, all right, we're starting to warm up now. Can I hear an amen from over here? <laughs> See, sometimes you can do everything you think that is right, but you can, they still hold the grudge, and you can't control the other person's response. But if you've done your best, some of you just need to hear this today. If you have done your best, you are clean before God. Get on with your life and let it go. Oh, category three. This is a life-shattering injustice, Pastor Bill talks about. This is an unthinkable tragedy that could change your life forever. And by God's grace, genuine forgiveness for Category 3 offences are extremely hard. But by His grace, they are extremely possible. I've seen it. I've heard it. I've read it. I've watched it. Radical forgiveness is a powerful, powerful thing. And right now, we're going to turn our attention to a screen to see this live. This happened four weeks ago. His name is Monty Williams. 
He's a, an American basketball coach. His wife was tragically killed during the offense of somebody else. It explains in the first minute of this clip. goes for four minutes. You hear him standing at his own wife's funeral explaining the power of forgiveness. Check this out. Well, police tell me just seconds before those two cars collided, Susanna Donaldson was traveling 88 miles per hour. On this stretch of Western, the speed limit is only 40. We've seen the road post-crash scorched and littered with pieces from the cars. And now we're getting a look at this too. Accident Recreations just released this afternoon from the Oklahoma City Police Department. Car U2 represents the Chevy Suburban driven by Ingrid Williams. Three of her kids were also inside. U1, the Chevy Impala driven by Susanna Donaldson. Traffic investigators say Donaldson clipped the back of car U3 before swerving across the center line head on into Williams SUV. Donaldson died right there at the crash. Williams a short time later at the hospital. Along with those sketches, we also know how fast Donaldson was driving. Police tell me just five seconds before impact, she was traveling 88 miles per hour and accelerating. One second before impact, her car hit 92. Then because of either swerving or hitting the brakes, Donaldson's car slowed to 78 before hitting Williams SUV head on. A dog that may have been riding in Donaldson's lap also died. Brian Shlonsky, KOCO, 5 News. Now, I'm going to close with this, and I think it's the most important thing that we need to understand. Everybody's praying for me and my family, which is right. But let us not forget that there were two people in this situation. And that family needs prayer as well. And we have no ill will towards that family. In my house, we have a sign that says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We cannot serve the Lord if we don't have a heart of forgiveness. That family didn't wake up wanting to hurt my wife. Life is hard. It is very hard. And that was tough. But we hold no ill will towards the Donaldson family. And we, as a group, Brothers united in unity should be praying for that family because they grieve as well. So let's not lose sight of what's important. God will work this out. My wife is in heaven. God loves us. God is love. And when we walk away from this place today, let's celebrate because my wife is where we all need to be. And I'm envious of that. But I got five crumb snatchers I got to deal with. I love you guys for taking time out of your day to celebrate my wife. We didn't lose her. When you lose something, you can't find it. I know exactly where my wife is. I'll miss holding her hand. I'll miss talking with my wife. Um, Sam and Coach Donovan probably couldn't figure out why I always wanted to get out of the office, uh, me and Mo Cheeks. Um, Mo probably wanted to go do something else, but we always wanted to. <laughs> get out of the office, I just enjoy being with my wife. I enjoy being with my family. And most of the times we didn't do anything. We'd just be at the house sitting around um, doing nothing. I'm going to miss that. Let's not lose sight of what's important. God is important. What Christ did on the cross is important. Let's not lose sight of that family that also lost someone that they love. 
I love you guys. I hope I get a chance to hug and shake a hand and give a kiss on the cheek. But let's keep what's important at the forefront. Thank you. A uh, powerful story of forgiveness, hey. Let's not lose sight, what did he say, of what's important. What's important? God is important. Why do we forgive? Six, six biblical reasons that we forgive. First of all, is because God said so. Is that up there? Because God said so. I'm going to let you read that. I'm not going to read that. You have a read of that. Because God said so. Let's go to the next one. I've got six of these biblical reasons. Second one. So Satan does not have advantage over us. You have a read of that. Let's go to the third one. To be like Jesus. Go to the fourth one. So we can see. I do apologize about that. That is the incorrect passage. It's verse 11. Verse 11. I do apologize about that. Let's go to the next one. And that's pretty much what Luke 6.36 says. You know, when it comes to forgiveness, feel free to come, Brad, and uh, we've got to remember that we are the people who owe the $10 million. <laughs> How do we pay that? Well, we can't. And that's the thing, the difference between Christianity and other religions, it's about what has been done, not what we do. So finally, how do we forgive specifically? We forgive over and over with help, by prayer, the help of our community, small groups, um, uh, a pastor, a minister, a friend, sometimes a counsellor. We've got this course. I don't know if we can show that slide there now. Search for Life. It's coming up on August 1. Week 2, we talked about getting organised. I'm inviting you to get organised and put this in your diary now. Search for Life will help you through this. Dr. Alan Meyer is the key teacher for this. He provides a safe and supportive process for letting go of the past and moving forward. You know, I realise this deep work, possibly decades of abuse and violence to be sorted out. But one thing I think is important when we talk about this particular subject of forgiveness, and it's this. What forgiveness is not, and I've got it on the screen, what forgiveness is not. It's not always about reconciliation. What I mean by that? Well, the person may be dead. <laughs> yeah, very real situation. It may be inappropriate. It may be cause danger. It may be in jail. Forgiveness does not always mean staying in the relationship. It's not about declaring the other person innocent. Forgiving is not condoning someone else's behavior or justifying their actions. It doesn't excuse what they have done to you. It's our deed. It's our act. It is us releasing ourselves from the anger 
that we have held on for so long so that you and I may live. Go to the final slide. I've got three questions for you, and it's this. Who is it that you need to let off this hook? What's one concrete step that you can take this week? Could you imagine our community, what this would be and mean like? Toward letting him or her off the hook. Maybe it's a phone call. Maybe it's face-to-face. Maybe it's an SMS, quickly can we catch up. Maybe it's a letter. Maybe it's prayer. But what would your life be like if you could walk away from the pain of the past that has come to define your present? I wonder. I do wonder. Do you? Let me pray for us this morning as we come into a time as we remember the cross, as we remember Jesus, as we remember God who gave his all for God so loved the world. Father, the psalmist says that I lift my eyes up. That's where my help comes from. Father, we just invite your help for every single one of us to be courageous and to do whatever it takes to reconcile and to forgive, to get beyond those grudges, to get beyond that anger so we can be free and we can set others free and so we can live without that resentment. So your beautiful work can work in our hearts and in our lives. Help us, Father, we pray, to make mercy and forgiveness that a great theme of our heart. Give us the courage to forgive as we have been forgiven. To be reminded of the prayer that Jesus prayed in Luke chapter 23. To Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That he forgave the soldiers right there and then who killed him. And we take this bread biscuit to remember. To remember Jesus. We take the bread biscuit that represents his body. That was beaten. That was bashed and was bruised. And we take the grape juice that was poured out for the sins of many. I invite the team now to come and serve us. This time we're having right now, these next couple of minutes, maybe the only time we do this in our whole week. And right now, inviting us, we're invited to come to the table. If you are on a journey or just starting this out, I invite you to to sit and consider what this might mean to you in your journey. For those of us who have said yes to Jesus and we're following him, we're invited to partake in this spiritual meal. Let's do that now.